What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Beyond Atheism podcast with me, Nathan Alexander, and my co-host, Todd Tavares. Moving beyond questions of God's existence, this podcast asks what atheists should be doing next in a godless world. Today we continue to delve into the world of non-theistic worldviews beyond atheism. We're talking about religious naturalism and joined by Carol Wayne White. She's the presidential professor (laughs) of philosophy of religion at Bucknell University and author of numerous essays on the creative intersections of critical theory and religion, process philosophy, and religious naturalism. Her most recent work is Black Lives and Sacred Humanity Toward an African-American Religious Naturalism. Welcome to Beyond Atheism, Carol. Well, thank you for the very warm welcome and for the lovely introduction. Thanks, Carol, for coming on. Um, I think we usually just start by asking about your background. Um, mm-hmm. So were you, were you raised religious? And what label would you put on your religious views now? Like if someone asked you, what is your religion? Okay, with the first part of the question, yes, I was definitely raised within a religious household. Roman Catholic, um, went to parochial school, was taught by the nuns, and then I, I entered college and went to Loyola College and encountered the Jesuits. And so I have a very rich background in Roman Catholicism and was a mystic, though, was not your traditional mm. <laughs> Roman Catholic in that I never embraced the guilt that people mm, joke about in a popular sense <laughs> that was very much in love with. Um, there was this book written by, I forget the name of the scholar, but Love of Learn and Desire for God was basically the theme of my childhood coming up. And the God part of that was just this fascination with what I now call the more of life, that there was something um, for me that I was charmed, enchanted by as a youngster, I was asking these types of questions, what I now call basic existential questions around origins, destiny, purpose, meaning. Believe it or not, 
age eight, nine, ten, I was asking those questions. <laughs> and so I um, studying theology and philosophy and English literature at Loyola really helped me to frame certain types of questions and to think about the questions that I was asking. I had a crisis of faith when I went to graduate school up in Boston. Uh, I went to Loyola in Maryland. There are several Loyolas in the United States. But I um, then went up to graduate school and had a crisis of faith. And all of that lovely theological background I had, mm. I began to question. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. it was good, very, very good. And um, I was very, much more interested in, still interested in what I would call the big questions of life. But the theistic framework no longer worked for me. It was no longer appealing to me or even interesting or intelligible. And, and that's why I do call it a lovely existential crisis. So that's part of my background. And what was the second part of the question? Just how, how would you define your religion now? Or what, like, what would you say yeah. if someone said, yeah. what, is, what is your religion? Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and students want to know, and a lot of people do ask me. Uh-huh. I, I, I call myself actually a naturalist uh, and a humanist. I am a humanist and I'm a naturalist. Uh, and in saying that, basically, I, I'm all about understanding values. I think that humans are, are value-laden organisms, that we, what we're calling religion, traditionally conceived as basically human values that we um, superimpose upon the world. And for me, the basic values that I think are important are about relationality, about our connection to the natural world of which we are a part, and transformation, making it a better world for all forms of life, sentient beings, if you will. And so as you can see the humanist part and the naturalism mm-hmm. in that definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like to be associated with religion per se mm-hmm. because of the historical um, because of the term itself, it, it has it's a very vexed, problematic term, I think, that's weighted down by years and years of thinking and valuing that I find to be somewhat problematic. At the same time, I, I, I'm what a lot of people consider to be the theistic, atheistic, agonistic relationship. I'm not into that either. I, I you know, I, I am just I, I think any sort of dogmatism whether you call it theistic or atheistic, for me, it is also problematic because they all are, as far as I'm concerned, um, ways of trying to understand who we are as human beings and our relationship to that which is more and other than us and what makes sense to us as we try to orient ourselves in the cosmos or at least this particular universe of which we find ourselves. So you made that distinction between the theistic thinking and non-theistic thinking and we we've recently like just been introduced to this idea of like an even of materialist religions right Mm -hmm, ideas we mm -hmm, have mm -hmm. it's based it rejects supernatural and it's focused on here and now and i think i don't want to put words in your mouth or misunderstand things you seem to define religion as a way of making meaning is Mm -hmm. that i mean Mm -hmm. is that what you would give it's like the like the basic definition of what a religion would be? Yeah, I, I think um, to 
I think if you actually, if I, you know, I'm a philosopher of religion, and if you look at some of the etymology of the term religion, I think it might be from the Latin to, to bind oneself. I think that's one of the uh, root uh, meanings of the term. And for me, it means basically that humans have this capacity to, to connect. And so for me, religion, if I'm going to use the term, it's about understanding how we connect to others, not just other human beings, but to other forms of life, to other processes, etc. And in that way, it's positive for me because it means that it disrupts any type of illusion of separateness or being alone or being at the center of the universe. So, so yes, I do think religion is about certain sets of values, but for me, the basic key values are really about connection, transformation. And could you just like really briefly, like the, the sort of negative connotations that mm-hmm. you see with mm-hmm. like religion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is it like how to, to sort of compare and contrast, or at least give us the, what you're trying to get away from, right. what is bad about this, uh, this sort of theistic religious dogmatic religion? What's wrong with that form mm-hmm. of mm-hmm moral making and that's yeah, relation yeah, building. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has when one looks at religion as a set of beliefs that you can then either rationally support or not, um, or when you begin to think of religion as revelatory, coming from something other than humans, um, to me those are some of the negative connotations of, of it. I actually think of religion as a mode of being in the world. It's a way of being in the world. It's more of an existential understanding in which you open yourself up to life and to what life um, offers at any given moment. And I think humans have responsibility to open themselves up to what is, and, and, and this is where the naturalism part comes into play, and not only open ourselves up to it, but then to... Um, to interpret what is, and then to try to enhance or contribute to what is in positive ways. Um, so you can see some of my, what traditionally is called liberative dimensions coming out. Um, if religion is going to do anything good in the world, as far as I'm concerned, given how I've defined it, it is going to help leave the world, when one enters the world, that your actions, your behaviors, your contributions as a species, as a group, as a culture, is leaving it a better place than how it was when you emerged or entered it. So, And I think religion can play that role. It often has not, as we all know, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> the histories and all. Mm-hmm. And But I think when people begin to think that this is something more than just human effort, you know, that's where that revelatory, the traditional theistic or when people begin to think that their way of trying to interpret whatever is the only way, that's where the dogmatism comes into play. Those are some of the negative connotations that I think a lot of people reject, and a lot of young people reject as well. Yeah, I guess we've already sort of touched on it a little bit, but maybe just to clarify, like, what exactly you mean by religious naturalism? Okay, good. And before I do so... um, Nathan, I do want to go back to one thing I think oh, I heard okay. oh. Todd say around materialism. Oh, yeah. Uh, religious naturalism, as I define it, is part of the new materialism, 
where the focus is on the here and now, uh, on what the scientific worldview affirms as uh, matter, as material, etc. So anything that there's nothing beyond nature, and nature's actually a set of properties of what were considered to be fluid. They change, whatever. And, and so um, for me, religious naturalism then is a set of naturalistic assumptions about the world and human beings in which we try to understand what is and that's where the naturalism part comes to play. The religious part has to do with the values that are embedded in how you understand the natural world around you. Because I, I, I come from a school of thought, and this is what religious naturalism also augments, that humans are value-laden organisms if you look at how we're defined by way of evolutionary theory and how our brains work, we actually have the capacity to construct values. But I think there's intrinsic value to things beyond how humans interpret value to other things. So I'm not saying that it's with humans that value is part of the world around us. I, I, I'm going back to what Darwin said, that every species has its own sort of adaptive value, how it engages the environment around it. And that's a certain type of practical valuing going on. And I think humans as another type of species also adapts to its environment and tries to make sense of it. And that's the value part. And so for me, religious naturalism is how humans actually adapt to the world around us, interpret the world around us, try to make sense of it, but also engage it and, 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 and have what I would hope to be lovely forms of connection with other beings and with and also intra-connectivity uh, between and among human beings as well. So from the sound of it, it sounds like you take what we know about the world and mm -hmm. humans' place in it mm -hmm. and use that to intentionally create the values. Is that... Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that yeah what we know. And, and, and the values come easy because we cannot help but evaluate, evaluate the world. We cannot help but interpret the world. We cannot help but classify. I mean, that's the way our brains are structured. So the valuing part is actually an innate predisposition that I argue in my published work comes to us by way of evolutionary theory. And part of that is a sort of, it comes out of what I call a constitutive relationality. Humans are not at the center but we are very much a part of many fascinating natural processes and how we make sense of that is part of that valuing that we're talking about. And it changes as we progress then as well. Of course, because the more knowledge, of course, as the, the more knowledge that comes to us, uh, it has to change. And religion, by the way, if you look at the, you all, I, I assume you know this, the history of religion, when people do comparative religion, they look at how, Religion has evolved. You know why? Because humans evolved. And then yeah. humans continue to try to make sense of the world around them. Mm. One of the earliest forms is animism, you know? And, mm -hmm. and a lot of people actually think of religious naturalism as a contemporary type of animism um, mm. because of its uh, focus on nature. Mm -hmm. But it really, it really is a, a way of understanding the world 
scientifically with a certain type of emotional response to that scientific knowledge. It really is grounded in scientific um, theory, but how we respond to it is where you get a lot of the so-called religious language, like terms like awe and wonder and, and beauty and justice and all of those humanistic philosophical terms. So we're combining both of those together with religious naturalism. Some people have actually argued that Einstein or somehow, um, well, Einstein in particular was a religious naturalist the way he, even though he used the, <laughs> he used the G-O-D word, yeah, right, yeah. but, but, when, yeah, but yes. when in, his, in some yeah. of his interviews, he actually qualified what he meant by yeah. God mm-hmm. and was not the supernatural God at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of human, humanistically oriented scientists are religious naturalists. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's not just um, it's not just sort of phenomenological. It's not just mm-hmm. through what we experience. It has to be informed more by what we know about the world. Not exactly. Just, exactly. Yeah. Right. And that's why I said it's grounded in scientific theory. And that's why it changes. Whatever is similar to the traditional notion of what metaphysics used to be. Metaphys. Well. Traditional metaphysics, metaphysics was always grounded in what the physics of the world was saying. You know, Aristotelian physics were based, you know, on uh, Aristotelian thought or theology. Aquinas was based on, on Aristotle's view of the world, the physics, the cosmos and all like that. So in this case, though, uh, religious naturalism takes what we consider to be uh, the physical world, reality, and we then make certain assumptions about it based on that knowledge, and we respond to it with these particular values and all like that. So it's kind of simple in a way, easy, but a lot of people get really hung up on the religious yes, words because right. they, they're yeah, usually yeah. associated with belief in this or dogmatic theological stuff, and that's not what we're doing at all or espousing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think um, religious naturalism is compatible with atheism or or yeah i'll say that incompatible why don't you define atheism um i'll say uh not believing in a god or gods that's how i'll define it yes Okay. In that way, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, if, if one, yeah, because that's what I call traditional supernaturalism. Or okay. Mm-hmm. The, the position that reality is best explained by something beyond the natural world, uh, especially a being, a personal being. Definitely, religious nationalism rejects that. It, it's not at all grounded in that traditional term. So, yeah, and some religious naturalists, though, re- don't like the word atheism because of some contemporary atheists who are not open to what we're calling religious in the more expansive way that I'm talking about, that reductionistic type of atheism. Who is it? Is it Richard? Who's the? Richard Dawkins. Dawkins. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, it's, it's, it's actually that form. I think of atheism as a caricature of of, of a healthy, robust form of atheism in my opinion. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's something we we often get hung up on too. Yep. The idea of the like, right? Kind of big A atheism and small mm-hmm, A atheism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, right. Actually, and- so one of the the contemporary 
sort of dimensions with that is when you have this the sort of big tent atheism that includes like you know agnostics you know the Dawkins but as well as agnostics people either don't know or don't think knowing is possible with irreligious people with people who just were born without a religion and never had any and then there's another group which is spiritual but but not religious right right yeah so now I'm curious as to how that fits in because especially if you're gonna if if we think about like animism I, I do see how animism can be seen as like like religious naturalism, right? Where we we but but it's very spiritual, an early form of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Is there right, a spirit? Right. Do you see spirituality in religious naturalism? And again, Todd, I will have to ask you what you mean by. Do <laughs> you know why? I actually have written articles on these. Uh, okay. Terms. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and, and their spirituality is as bad as. Religion yes. and, yeah. and um, yeah. atheism yes. because it has and it goes back in time, but but let me again if you could answer that because I do think it is a type of spirituality, but it depends on how you're defining spirituality. Uh, yeah, I, totally. I, yes, you are <laughs> professor of philosophy. I, I am. That. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm talked. This is one this of is my also, favorites. Yeah. <laughs> when they define the, your terms, define the terms. <laughs> first thing, the. Um, it's it's a problem with when they do these surveys because there is no yeah. clear meaning. Right. I mean, if we adapt it to like if we draw from animism, at least to make this this point, because I think the like very very that very specifically is this sort of like other realm, right? The spirit of the of the forest, right? That it has this life force that is outside of itself, that's beyond our plane of of knowledge. Like that would be, I think, the, the more specific form. But if people are coming to this as like, well, I don't believe that the, there's, you know, a, a spirit force of the forest, but they might s- identify something with your notion of the more. So that mm-hmm. might. Do you mm-hmm. find like maybe it would just be if you could define the idea of the more, or differentiate animism from a more materialist concept, a more materialist worldview. So, so what, what, what is the basic question, Todd? Great. <laughs> um, okay. So the, the thing with spirituality, uh, spirituality I want to know right. what, if this yeah. uh, religious naturalism mm-hmm. has room for Can spirituality. Right. Right. Okay. And so maybe in both of these, if you could address it in both terms, mm-hmm. the specific and the, the broad sort of mm-hmm. spirit of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, right. So, so the way, the reason I did ask you to define it is because you're absolutely right, especially among a generation of young people, 18 to 22 or so, as you know, the Pew Foundation has been doing these surveys on religious pluralism in the United States. And they have created this term N O N E nuns. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. For for this generation of young people who say they do not identify with any traditional religious tradition, and, and so nuns actually consider themselves to be spiritual, and that word can it encompasses a number, a plurality of different positions. The way I and I teach a course called. Not religious, but spiritual, in which okay. I've had mm. students explore this. So for me, the word spirituality 
a, a, a contemporary understanding of it as opposed to the older notion that it is about some non-material reality. I consider spirituality to convey all-encompassing reality in which um, you feel you're connected to. And in that sense, as we know, even within the scientific worldview, there's a lot we don't know about the natural world. So it allows for openness to what some people traditionally call mystery. I associate the word the more with that. In other words, human knowledge is limited as far as I, this is why science is so fascinating because we're discovering more and more about the universe that we inhabit. And now we know there might be, be even other universes out there, but we're discovering so much more. And so because we are limited, our knowledge will continue to evolve and grow and expand, I think. And in that way, it allows for spirituality to be an, alter- an alternative way of understanding your exploration of all that is. And if the current understanding of all that is is X, then spirituality is your desire to be in connection with that X, however you defined it and all. So religious naturalism can definitely uh, align with spirituality when you define it in that way. As I said, I use the word the more to, to, to talk about that in a sense. Also, I think that spirituality is plausible for religious naturalism because of the valuing part. It's not nihilistic. It's not a um, religious naturalism. It's not a view that says, well, you can't really know all that there is. Therefore, you're just going to give up on blah, blah, blah. No, religious naturalism has a positive uh, proclivity, as I explained in the beginning, about transforming and transforming of self and other in such a way that you try to improve things in the world. And that's, again, that brings in some of the humanistic, I think, um, elements of it. So for me, spirituality is really about a way of connecting with all that is, that it changes your most radical behaviors because when you're in lot, when you're aligned with all that is, it motivates you to behave in a certain way, and it um, it makes clear your values to you. And in that way, religious naturalism can be a type of spirituality. Does that help? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it does. It helps me understand spirituality mm. better because yeah. I, I have had that conversation with people who identify actually don't even don't necessarily identify as spiritual but not religious, but kind of are in practice. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of difficulty defining that sense that they have that there's something else out there, mm-hmm. right? that, that more, the way that, mm-hmm. that you put it. Well, the more is we're a part of the more. And I, I wish I could remember, I actually have this in one of my articles. I don't have it in front of me. I have this very beautiful definition of spirituality that um, was similar to what I was trying to articulate early, earlier. Uh, but it is about alignment with what you consider to be really real. <laughs> and so in this context, as we're talking about religious naturalism, if nature is all that there is, if, if nature is the ultimate reality, 
then religious nationalism is a type of spirituality that says you want to be aligned with all that is with nature. I mean, is it yeah. fair to think to, in this worldview, conceptualize mm-hmm. nature as a higher power? I don't like the word higher power because that makes it subjective. You see the power, higher power. I don't like those terms. For me, they don't work um, because it begins to creep into the God language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and, and for me, why not just nature is pluralistic. Nature is multifarious. Nature is so much more than we can even think about if you really, I mean, all these traits and possibilities it evolves exactly. So it's not a static thing. Yeah, we are a part of, we ourselves are our, na- our, our nature itself. So it's, 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 it's more than just something out there. It's this fascinating matrix of um, processes. Right. That Where has, power is is decentralized and it Yeah, it power, exists. yeah, power. Yeah. Yeah, it exists it takes, in the network in our connections. Exactly, and the power is basically the connections between the various processes if you will. Yeah. But it's not that top down. That's why I don't like higher power because it it it, it gives for me it gives you the feeling that there's a apex and then it it trickles down to no no it's more of an ecological sort of metaphor where everything that is is part of this that we're calling the natural world because you know, there it, isn't that one unified central force exactly and it's not unified it's 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 both it's interconnected but it's also multifarious it's, i mean it's 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 it's, it's dynamic and it changes, and it's fascinating. This is why it's usually really incomprehensible if you think about it. And so the best scientists will say that at any given moment, there's always something we don't know at any given moment, right? So for me, religious nationalism is open to that. It's aligned with that beautiful spirit of science that why do you want to try to reduce that which is real to your contemporary classification of it? It will always exceed what you think it is uh, because of at least how we understand uh, evolutionary theory and even the physical world through physics and all. And and even what uh, some of my scientist friends think about when they talk about the quantum world that that goes beyond even this three-dimensional world that, you know, what goes beyond the Newtonian physics that we live out of, but we know that they're there are these subatomic particles. There are these fundamental elements of life that the naked eye can't see, can't whatever. And that's that part that allows you to say, oh, wow, wow. Yeah. It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I think like, and, and that, like, like you say, that's, I think that's even more wondrous and mysterious, you know, that, then, then you might get in sort of traditional theistic religions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, again, for me, religious naturalism hits it on the nail because you really, if you really do understand and and some of the theories that are um, part of the scientific worldview, you can't help but just be humbled and overwhelmed with a sense of wonder and awe and wow. And, and, and even, and then when you think about human beings and our capacity to even absorb some of this, 
Mm. You can't you yes, even right, exactly. and more yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And think yeah. about this because one of my sub specialties is the human animal connection. Don't you think it's fascinating that we can connect to other species? It's just you know yeah. you think about even the way we've domesticated certain species and, and have these deeply emotional connections to our dogs, our cats. You know, for me, parrots, and it's just it's just it's just mind boggling that. Not only can we connect to other human beings and just connecting to another human being around the issue of love is mind boggling. But then when you go beyond that and think about our capacity to, to relate to other species, wow. So there's just so much. And that's why I love religious naturalism, because it allows you to think in that way and to appreciate those capacities and, and, and what they suggest about existence itself. It's always like amazed me and kind of confounded me that like we can know someone. Right? I know. <laughs> I know. I agree, Charles. That's what I, we think we know. And that's the part. I mean, because I'm, I assume we all have been in relationships or we have relationships now. And on a day to day basis, it's just for me, mind boggling. When you look at a person you and you say, I know, you think you know that person. There's always <laughs> something yeah. more. Whether uh, That could yeah, be a true. family member. That could be a lover. That could be, you know, a co-worker. It, it's, it's just mind-boggling to me when you say, I know, you know. Um, and, and so, yeah, I agree with you. And to me, that's the beauty of, of this type of thinking. You can see I'm getting excited. Yeah. Because this is, because this is what religious naturalism is, is about. It helps you to think through these types of categories, assumptions, ideas, and to to just respond with a sense of wow. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. So Carol, is this a sort of individual project, like something that we like we as an individual, someone who thinks in this worldview, as a religious naturalist, we have to contemplate every day. Like we read a magazine article and we think about what it means for our morality, what what ought we do? Or is this something that science will give us this direct answer, right? This is what our morality needs to be. Now that we know this, does it direct us to particular actions that are right or wrong? Or is this, so is it, is it an individual project or is it something that's a total project and it always gives us an absolute answer? So religious naturalism is not like traditional religions in that you would say that these are the doctrines that you then must ascribe to. It really is a worldview, and it really is. So a worldview means that it's up to each individual to determine for him or herself how she or he or they will respond to the knowledge that comes about by way of religious naturalism. So if, any, if there's anything that religious naturalists share it is the truth of nature that's given to us through the scientific worldview. Once you affirm that, then you have many different responses to that in terms of how you're going to live out your daily values or what you consider to be convictions or commitments to that particular scientific worldview. So it's both of those in a way, uh, um, Todd, in that there's no... Um, I'm part of Religious Naturalist Association, and we're trying to, we, we had the most difficult time trying to actually describe 
the many types of religious naturalists because it really it is a global phenomenon that is emerging and it's becoming a plausible a much more plausible worldview for a lot of people today who are seeing the damage that traditional religion has done and people who are very very much concerned about ecological crisis that we're in and yet at the same time religious naturalists our association does not tell people this is how you ought to live and this is is up to you as to how you so in that way it's not that traditional religious doctrinal approach that says these are the xyz's of what we're all about and all so yeah it's and in that way a lot of people are may be turned off by it because some uh, people want to be yes, told right. how they ought yeah. to live yeah, and all yeah. and yeah. so in that and, and so it's interesting yeah but it's more of a it's I'm sorry it's more of a I would say a intellectual worldview and some of my students actually I teach a course in religious naturalism at Bucknell and a lot of my students are saying they think it's for the elite ones though those who are college educated who knows about who know about scientific theory and I said that may be true to some extent I said but when you start talking to people and when any person who is at least minimally grounded in scientific theory and understand it can be a religious naturalist. You don't have to have a PhD in this or that, or whatever, but you cannot escape understanding some of the basic notions of what science is telling us about the contemporary world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if the, is there a sort of a move to create institutions? I, I mean, we've, in, in the past uh, episodes, this, a theme that keeps sort of coming up is um, creating ritual beyond uh, beyond uh, atheism, because it does seem like this is this is something I guess that traditional theistic religions, I suppose, do to some extent well. I guess I mean ha- having these rituals does seem to be quite important for many people, and I wonder is there something in religious naturalism that can fulfill that uh, need? Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent question, as all of your questions have been. But the reason I, I, I said that was excellent, just recently, um, a group of us who are religious naturalists who are part of RNA did a conference at Star Island in New Hampshire every year. There's, there's this Institute for, Institute for Religion in the Age of Science, IRS. And that's one of my professional organizations. And they hosted this conference on naturalism. And I'm also a member of RNA, Religious Naturalist Association. So a group of religious naturalists did a presentation on religious naturalism to open people up to it. And we had one of our members talk about rituals within religious naturalism. And basically, um, what his name is Todd McAllister, he basically said that the rituals that you might associate with religious naturalism are ones that people almost do every day, like sitting out, um, gazing at, you know, the moon and, and, and reflecting on that. Or there are what a lot of people will call so-called pagan traditions. But we don't use the word ritual per se, but there are ways in which religious naturalists come together. Say if you have a friend who likes birding, you know, watching birds, if you, a lot of religious naturalists live near, well, not a lot, a number of us live near the ocean, walk in the beach every day, 
I do beach strolls every morning, contemplating existence. That can be considered a ritual. Getting together with others and having wonderful conversation and, and, and laughing and having joy about this very moment, that could be seen as a ritual. But it's not, so it's not as I said, explicitly ritualized in the way that you go to mass and at this particular time, but every day or every hour or even every moment of your existence can be a type of ritual for you if that's what you want to do. Um, if you practice mindfulness, that can be a type of um, ritualized behavior in which you pause to take stock of the present moment and all like that. Your connection with your 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 animal, other animal kin, can be a type of ritual. So yes, as you know, I think some certain anthropologists have actually argued that humans are ritualized beings that we have a need. And that's the way our brain is structured. So, so religious nationalism can adapt to that need for us to ritualize, you know, our existence from minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, weekly, whatever. But they're not categorized as, as I would say, as explicitly as you have within um, Christianity, Judaism, right, things right. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Carol, one other thing. It's kind of related to ritual is oh, yeah, the sacred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you say that humans are sacred. Religious naturalism places us in this sort of network of connected beings. But in that, you see the humans as sacred mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. humanity is sacred. Mm-hmm. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Is this, does this sort of give privilege to human animals mm-hmm. or is mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. something else happening here? Okay. And I, I do want to answer that, Todd. But before I do, I, I, I realized there was something I missed about the ritual component. And I just want to go back to that quickly. Yeah. That there are a number of musicians, artists, and poets that religious naturalists point to 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 help people think about how you can also ritualize your behavior. And around poetry in particular, uh, poets like Mary Oliver, Walt Whitman, they are poets that a lot of religious naturalists read, and there are so many others and all. So there are even musicians who sing to the cosmos and compose songs to the cosmos and artists. So there's a lot of artistic, aesthetic components to, to that ritualizing as well. I wanted to throw that in. So now to try to address your sacred question. Yeah, that's part of the title of my book, Black Lives and Sacred Humanity. Um, But I define sacred in a particular way. So instead of asking you to define it, I'm just going to define it myself. Um, To me, the word sacred has to do with a particular awareness and embracing of human relationality. And so when I say that humans are sacred, what I'm suggesting is that there's a wholeness to our being when we recognize that we are interconnected, that there's no such thing as the isolated human. So it's not that traditional um, notion of the sacred as some supernatural layer or whatever. It's, it's totally naturalized to some extent. And the reason I like the word sacred in that context is that it says that there's something unique about humans understanding and embracing the fact that we are connected to other beings. 
we evolution has definitely given us this propensity to be aware of our existence and to reflect on our existence. I mean, we can't deny that. The fact that we can do that, though, does not make us better, ontologically better or superior to other beings. So for me, the sacrality is not a certain type of ontological superiority. It's just a natural fact that we are just not driven by instinct. We actually have the capacity to pause and reflect and to respond in a certain way. And that's what I'm calling the sacred, you know. And in allowing for that is not what I would call that reductionistic type of naturalism where we think we're just describing the world and we're not responding to it with the sense of awe and wonder, etc., and even to ourselves. Well, I think, as, as usual, we've, we've sort of like have so many questions we want to ask, but um, we never quite get to all of them. Uh, <laughs> no, nowhere near it. And I see the time, too. Yeah. Yeah. I see the time, yeah. too. Wow, yeah. that went fast. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We sh- yeah. So we should move on to our lightning round. And oh, I guess maybe we can we can get to some of our, our questions in the in the bonus section too for uh, for patrons. So, um, but anyway, um, yeah. So so we'll uh, we'll move on to our lightning round called can a okay. can a true atheist. But we'll we'll sort of <laughs> change it for yeah. you to be uh, can a true religious naturalist. Um, so just sort of short answers and maybe we can sort of follow up. Um, so can a true religious naturalist say bless you after someone sneezes? Well, I'm sorry to disrupt the game, uh, but okay. I don't know if I can answer about uh, a true religious uh, naturalist. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, can, I guess I can, I can answer it if Just... you say, does Carol's notion of religious naturalist? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. 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 Yeah. I have to be careful, believe oh, no, me. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. I usually say Gesundheit, okay. you know, I, I go yeah. back to the German. And, and so what? Yeah, it's a cultural. For me, yeah, it's okay to say mm, okay. it. It's, it's yeah. fine. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the basis of this comes from the idea of the, the true Scotsman, the, the yeah, logical yeah. fallacy where you, yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you avoid a problem by redefining it. So yeah, it's, we're, right. we're doing it. It's cheeky. Mm-hmm. And I know. I know. And I'm sorry. I'm a little too serious for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, can't, I can't get in trouble for this. No, thing. no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I, I, you know, I, I know I won't get into trouble and, and ultimately I don't care. Right. If I do yeah. Get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> have fun with yes. it. Okay. Yeah. Let's yes. have fun. Well, okay. in that case, you know, maybe <laughs> there is a chance someone could, could be punished for something in the afterlife. Mm. So can a true religious naturalist believe in an afterlife? Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wow, that was pretty uh, okay. strong. Right. Well, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, the afterlife is a speculative concept. It's, it is, it's not a naturalistic concept at all. So that was easy to answer. Okay. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I like you too. I, could, <laughs> I wish we were in the same room. Yeah. I can kind of yeah. imagine. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, can a true religious naturalist get married in a church or a place of worship? Uh, I guess if that person wants to, if the two people want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, yeah. I yeah. yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> Can a true religious naturalist reject science? No. Okay. <laughs> what can they reject a particular scientific finding? No. If it's science, if it's empirically validated by the scientific method, you cannot reject it. Otherwise, it's not science. It's quack. It's it's. it's not, I mean, as we all know, science is is actually conducted by the empirical method, and and the experimentation, the hypothesis has to be validated for it to be a scientific theory man that's these are the ones you come down yeah. hard on yeah only well i said it's grounded in the yes. scientific yeah of, it, yeah it, it's almost yeah, like yeah, definitional I mean, you, you have to hmm. well it's 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 um naturalism it's naturalism humanism is grounded in scientific investigation and validation yeah i guess with the with the with the caveat maybe that any sort of scientific finding could always be um, falsified at some point in the future. Well, that's what science has. Yeah, that's the history of science. Mm-hmm. You know, they used to believe in uh, what is it? Combustion. Yeah. Or what, uh, is it? what is the, the uh, spontaneous yes, combustion? Yes, yes. And it's it's been proven to be false. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But at that time, it was the valid. Yeah. Scientific theory. Yeah, and that and again, that's why I began with the beautiful idea that. Um, the knowledge is always open to new forms of knowledge. And that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Here's a challenging one. <laughs> As if, well, the others were challenging too, but, but the, <laughs> this, this in particular. Can a true religious naturalist eat meat? I think there are some who do. I, I'm vegan, okay. so I don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, again, remember I was saying that it's up to each yes. person yes. to live mm-hmm. out. Yeah, so it's, it's, it depends on the person's own sense of how they connect to their kin animals and all. I, I, I'm what I call an aspirational vegan. I, I aspire to live out my convictions that um, other animals are just as valuable as me, so I don't want to violate their lives. So, you know, and you have many different gradations of, you know, conviction in that. And I know some, I know some um, religious naturalists who do eat meat. So, but I don't cast judgment on them. All right. Well, can a true (laughs) religious naturalist get vaccinated? For what? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Anything. And I think COVID COVID Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 oh me. Right. Okay. This lightning You're round amazing. is funny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the last one is about can a true a true religious naturalist chop down a tree? Yeah, if the person it. wants to, and they will have to live with the yes. consequences yes. of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh gosh, you two are funny. <laughs> but you, Carol, this is incredibly enlightening and in- Thank incredibly you. thoughtful. It's thought provoking in the best yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So this yeah, was I had fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I had fun. Thank yeah. you the, so yes. much. Thank you for coming. Yes. All right, so that was a lot of fun uh, talking to Carol. Uh, Todd, what did you get out of this episode? Dude, I I think I'm in. Mm-hmm. I'm totally on board. What about you? 
I yeah, mean, I think so too. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I, I mean, I guess it's like maybe our um our our worldview is pretty similar already to religious naturalism, would you say? Probably. I think that it, one is it was a total curveball. It was not what I expected. And it is um I think like the science stuff, right? We make our own morality. We have to consider these things. Um, that's a big part of it. One of the things that like, okay, that's the stuff that we kind of, we kind of already agree with. One of the things she helped me understand are people who are spiritual. I think I have a better understanding of that now. People who think that there's something other than just humanity or beyond us or this force in the world. And the way Carol laid it out for us is like, yeah, it's, it's, everything it is the universe it's the world it's nature it's how things interact and that's that's the key right and i think that's kind of where sh- sh- that's an answer for spiritual but not religious right mm-hmm. yeah yeah is that um, something that spoke to you was there anything that it clarified your thinking gave you that plus one um I think, I think, in a, like when she was talking about like the more, um, it, that 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 definitely is interesting to me. I mean, because th- there are so many things we really don't understand about like the the universe. Like, why is there a universe? Like, why do we exist? Um, and we won't, we'll never. I mean, at least in our lifetime, we won't understand that fully. But science, maybe at some point in the future, we will have an answer for that. Um, but I think it's like almost like sort of an embrace of that mystery is, is part of it, I think. And just sort of like embracing the not, not knowing yet. Whereas, whereas like more traditional theistic religions might say like, it's God or something, you know, like provide, provide a simple answer. Yeah. I think um, in, in her uh, worldview, I mean, or, or the religious naturalist worldview, I think, um, it leaves a, a place for that kind of mystery and, and yeah, even, yeah. And just in awe, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. And even, I think this could be a defect of, of more like rigid kinds of like scientific atheism where it's like, you know, um, to try and explain things that just haven't been explained yet. Um, like why, why we exist. I mean, I know like Lawrence Krauss had that book, um, I can't think of what the title is, something like, you know, but like something yeah. like why, you know, like why isn't there, why is there something rather than nothing? And I mean, and then he's, I think the answer is like, well, it's just like quantum mechanics or something, but, um, but it does feel like even, even to talk about like, why are there um, laws of physics or something? Like, why do laws of physics exist? Um yeah, I don't think maybe like science isn't there yet, and maybe it will never be. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, I, exactly. And I mean, even I would talk about simpler things, like when we're talking about like knowing one another, right? Like how you can know a person. I find that incredibly awesome. I find that much more awesome than the, the idea of a god, right? Yeah, I find yeah. it incredible that I can turn my thoughts into words, turn them into sounds, and that when those sounds go in other people's ears, right? It's just those waves of air molecules. They go into other people's ears 
it gets converted into a signal that goes to their brain and they have the same thought. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, right. Absolutely incredible. That mm-hmm. is so much more interesting than burning bushes. And yes, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's just not even, it's, it's not on the same level at all. So yeah, finding that awe there. Um, I'm also like much more into that sort of, uh, relational intricate, like how we're defined by interconnectedness, not by being monads, not by being like, uh, some like life is people are not billiard balls on a table. Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, we're, yeah. we're, we only have meaning by being interconnected, like language, right? If you're the only one who speaks that language, that language is pointless. Yes. Anyway, exactly. yeah. we could go on and on and on again, but these are two really good things. Um, in the bonus material, the professor totally demolished the harm principle kind of easily. I was really in awe <laughs> of that. And I, I love that she is so committed to it. Like this idea, like science is the truth. It tells us how we do it. And that's how we get our morality. It's, it's an easy answer. Um, the only thing is, I, I would say maybe like, um, it is, it is slightly more complicated because, because <laughs> like, I mean, like, like I said in the, in the, 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 um, lightning round, I think like just the scientific truths are always provisional. So it's, or, or they could even be, there are multiple, um, competing scientific theories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, can, just can be ambiguous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like her response to that was like spot on, which is not, which, I mean, it's something you have to train your brain to do where she said, if you, if the science changes, your morality changes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. Like if that's, a, a that's a tough line, right? Like, yeah, that's true. I um, mean, yeah. And cause like you said, we know that the science is going to change and her answer to it is the morality changes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. But then the, there is a, yeah, there is a, there is a question though. Like, um, if there are competing hypotheses, um, how to just, how to choose between them. And because, yeah, because like the evidence may not be clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that's like really conflicts with anything she is, she says necessarily, but yeah. No. And I think it's, it's pretty, it's, it's definitely where that limitation is, but we've, the, the other thing is we've seen that in a lot of places. Um, there, there are places now where science needs to be updated and corrected. It's especially in like a lot of medicine. Um, but things like brain sizes, right? If you say that women's brains are too small to have deep thoughts, you know, there's, you have to commit to a scientific investigation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, yeah, this is maybe this is a tangent, but I mean like things like in like 18th century and 19th century science, you know, the saying, um, women's brains are small or like, you know, that different races have different sized brains. I mean, that's just like, it's bad science that can be answered with better science rather than saying like science itself is suspect or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, the answer is more science. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm, that's a, that's a major commitment. And if that's where you're going to, going to place your morality, 
That's you got to mm-hmm. do it right. Definitely. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. look at what this has done to us, Nathan. Just like thinking about this worldview leads to just endless conversation about it. It's so thought provoking. I think like that's incredible. Oh man, and we could we could do this all night. I, how do you think we could post a uh, a twenty hour podcast? How would that go? Over? <laughs> yeah, could One be a marathon ago. marathon podcast or something of, of just yeah. us ranting and chasing down uh, other tangents as we go. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Well, okay. So, what do we, Nathan? What do we need to plug this week? We've we got we've got Red Japan. Perfect is always Japan, yes. is the same every week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I think the big thing aside from Red Japan is uh, that's yeah um, is the um, the Patreon page which we recently started, where you can subscribe and get different stuff, including access to the bonus content. Um, so we had a, uh, some bonus questions for Carol that well isn't included in the main show uh, that you can access by becoming a patron. So check that out. Um, check it out. Drop some coin. Give it a listen. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, and then, of other goodies. The link and description will be below for the Patreon page. Mm-hmm. And yep, just to encourage people to like and subscribe and rate and review, etc., etc. 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 Push yep. the button. Ring the bell. Yes. Pull the string. Do all that stuff. Um. Uh, apply to Bucknell University. Take classes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And we should. We'll post like links to her book and and some of the other stuff she's written. Um, and yeah. thank you, the listener. Yes, thanks to the listener. Yes. <laughs> we yes. could not do this. We couldn't simply speak if people weren't listening. Mm-hmm. We weren't there. No. We're interconnected. No, we're interconnected. Yes. Right. Okay. So we'll see everyone next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.